Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Bible reading this morning will be taken from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. At the end of the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. Please kindly respond by saying, thanks be to God. All right. 1 Kings, chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelites' family to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. All the Israelites came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethanim, the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of the meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from the outside, the holy place, and they are still there today. There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he will dwell in a dark cloud, and I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and blessed them. Then he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he promised with his own mouth to my father David. For he said, Since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have, chosen, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built so that my name might be there. But I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my, fa to fa to my father David, you did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood. He is the one who will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place there for the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. I do not wish to say anything on this occasion. Despite our great human and material resources, the government has not been able to fulfill the legitimate expectations of our people. I thank you all. We pray for our president. 
for unusual release of grace. Nigeria will be safe, Nigeria will be changed, and Nigeria will become great in my lifetime, in the name of Jesus. May God have mercy on every politician who hold power but do nothing with the power. Maybe I should just sit down. I mean, it can only go down from there, right? Morning, everyone. And I should say, uh, Happy New Year to, at least I don't think I've seen most faces this year. So Happy New Year, and a special welcome to those who are worshiping with us for the first time. We're really happy to have you. My name is Femi. And we're about to start a new series. Um, uh, it's going to be a four-part series. And Part of the inspiration for it is, uh, let me tell you a bit of a story. I like stories, okay? But this is, not, this is a true thing. Uh, about a number of years ago, I think it was 2011, I was in the UK, I was studying. So what would be my normal routine is heading to my department, to my office there. I would um, put something, I'll play something, you know, in my ear. I had a playlist, a YouTube playlist. So I think it was about to change. Something happened, maybe it was going to the next song. And then I was, I would say, rudely interrupted by, um, you know, the sponsored songs, ads, ads that you don't solicit for. So I was really interrupted by one, but it was by some Nigerian artists. And they had just released a sort of um, patriotic song, something to galvanize us. I think, again, it was just before the 2011 election. So I decided to listen to it. I mean, there's no harm in trying to hear, you know, something to make you feel good about your country. So. I started, and they got to a section where they started to say the national pledge. You know the pledge? I pledge to Nigeria, my country, to be faithful, loyal, and honest, to serve Nigeria with all my, so I now stopped. It's always say, to serve Nigeria is not by force. <laughs> anyway, I got to, to serve Nigeria with all my, and I was like, I couldn't remember. So I paused the thing. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be embarrassed like this. I know it. So I started again. But uh, do you remember? To faithful, well, I shall, to serve Nigeria with, I said, there's something, shall there. And I now went into, uh, I couldn't now remember the remaining. So I, I felt so ashamed. You know? And some of you are looking at me and you are judging me. Right? You are judging me. But how many of you, I said, seeing the circumstances of the national anthem, how many of you can remember it? Let's see them. I knew they'll raise up their hands. I too knows. Yeah, I knew you people. When you, were in, when you were in school, you were the ones in front. And to me, and to me. Ah! It's a rhetorical question. And it made me ask myself what was wrong with my patriotism. Had I, I, I become so disillusioned um, that maybe, and maybe some of us feel that way, that successive governments had failed us. So a certain sense of pride I had in the nation, you know, was it had dissipated over a, a period of years, such that something as symbolic as the National Pledge, I hadn't thought about it in a while. And uh, if things were not well with uh, Nigeria and I was in another, a foreign country, you know, that's, maybe that's what happens. But it, makes also, it made me also think about how important politics is. So that if it disappoints you, you can feel this way. You see, politics is really important. Because some of us will say something like, well, you know what, because of the way they failed me, I'm just going to look after my family, me and my family. But even if you try to do things on your own, you know, in the privacy of your own business and your family, how many of us can build our roads? How many of us can regulate the authenticity of uh, medicine that comes into the country? How many of us can set the income tax rate? How many of us can make public health care policies from our homes? Ultimately, even if you decide to try and be this private citizen, politics still affects you. Politics is really important. But when you've been disappointed by men for so long, what happens? You think, well, these people can't serve us, so maybe we should turn to God. And so we bring God into politics. After all, that pledge that I said, it starts with, I pledge to Nigeria my country. And it ends with, so help me God, right? You know, God, um, yeah, you didn't catch it, all my word. But it's hard to separate God and country. 
it's hard to separate religion and politics. It's always, they've always found, I don't know whether to say uneasy bedfellows, but they've always come together. Now, this also brought me to, if you think about, at least in, in living memory, the one I can remember um, 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 uh, quite recently is our 2015 elections. And, you know, for many people, it was a pivotal election. It was going to, it was a do or die election. And I wouldn't like to, I was very disheartened, not by the, the, the election per se, but by the way Christians behaved. Even Christians, you know, mudslinging, the way we were so charged up against each other, that made me think, you know, we often don't know how to think biblically as Christians about how we participate in politics. So we have our legislative and executive elections coming up, and already some of these things, if you go on the Twitter sphere, some of these things have already started to build up again. So part of the inspiration for this four-part um, a series is to help us think biblically. Um, as I said, it's going to be a teaching series, so it's not so much a sermon series. Some of the people who are here in the first sermon, I don't know whether I call it sermon or lecture, but um, it's going to be, I, I feel we have to lay certain theological foundations, um, and we'll do that in the first two, um, uh, first two of these, and then the last two would apply. And by God's grace, by the time we're finished going through all of that, I hope we'll be best placed to know um, the candidate to vote for, all right? It's, it will be revealed. I'm joking. I'm joking. It's a joke, all right? So my wife says, you know, sometimes people don't get this your joke. They'll take it very seriously. So now that brings me to the text that we read, 1 Kings chapter 8. Now, just a bit of a background. And I said, because it's a teaching series, I'm not going to do a full exposition of this text. I'll say a couple of things about it, and then we'll move to many other scriptures later. But a bit of a background. In 1 Kings chapter 1 to 4, you have a transition between David. David dies, and Solomon now takes the throne. So David, Solomon really consolidates himself as the true heir to David's throne. There was opposition. He dealt with the opposition. Then also he had an encounter with God. God visited him, gave him wisdom to rule the people, and he had so much wealth. We see that chapters 1 to 4. In chapter 5, based on this, he had rest from every side, as the Bible said, a lot of peace. So he decided, oh, I need to build a temple that God promised my father, David, that I will build. So preparations for the temple started being made. In 6 to 7, both the temple and Solomon's palace were constructed. 8 to 9, which I call the peak of Israel's existence, their territory had spread beyond where they never had it before. So much wealth. There was peacetime. They never had any major wars to fight. Um, the temple was dedicated. Um, and, and then, you know, there was lots of celebration. And, but then in chapter 10, you start seeing the decline of Solomon. <coughs> it declines. Israel starts to decline. And Solomon dies. So that's the context of this passage. But the, the, the section of 8 that we are looking at is really just before Solomon dedicates the temple. There are a couple of things that are there that I want us to see. Because again, as I said, this intervention that we are all seeking God for to be in our politics, it comes from a certain heart. Maybe to see a heart of seeing God as over our nation. How many of us want to see God over our nation? So those of you that didn't raise up here, you don't want it. <laughs> Please, can you submit your passports? We don't want you in this country. So that's why we call the one nation under God. And um, we'll, be look at, we'll look at it in three different parts. All right? So the first one is um, exclusive rule of one nation. Exclusive rule of one nation. The second is inclusive consideration of other nations. Inclusive consideration of other nations. And the third is global rule of every nation. Global rule of every nation. I want to tell you, please, I hope we're all awake. I know the rain is raining. Put your thinking caps on. It's going to be a bit of a ride, all right? So let's start with the first one, the exclusive rule of one nation. Now, if I ask, what's politics? What's politics? All of you that raised up your hand, like you knew the second stanza of the king, I too know. Why are you not raising up your hand now? <laughs> But now, I like it. There's a good short definition that I found, which was 
the activities associated with governance of an area or a country. The activities associated with the governance of a, an area or a country. It's like this. Some of us know this in our place of work, or let me say in our families, right? A group of people come together, and they're coming together over you know, some common thing, common ethnicity, common bloodline, common goal, uh, vocational goal. And they want to achieve, they want to flourish together, coming together. Uh, they want to uh, accomplish a mission. Not too long after, they start to find out that they are, different, they are different people. They have differences of opinion. And those differences, if they're not careful, will stop them from flourishing together, accomplishing their mission. So how do they go together, accomplish that mission, flourish, despite their differences? Well, one of the things over the history of the world that has been seen that, uh, that can help that problem is what we call governance. That is, they have to be governed in such a way that caters for those differences, but still enables them to flourish together and to accomplish a mission together, all right? The activities associated with that governance is what we call politics. Now, in that regard, politics is inherently good. I know in Nigeria, politics is a curse word, but it is inherently good. That is, how do you govern a people? What activities do you use to govern a people who are together to accomplish certain goals and to enable them to flourish? Now, there have been different governing systems, political systems that we know, the three broad ones, for instance. I'm just taking nations. One, you can call an autocracy. Now, with autocracies, basically, the power, the supreme power, is invested in one person or a group of people. One person or a group of people. So take, for instance, what we call absolute monarchies. Not like you have in England, but that you have in Saudi Arabia or uh, United Arab Emirates, right? At that point, if the king says something, it's, it's done. It's not, you can't vote him out. It's not, it's an absolute monarchy. It dwells within, with the, with the king. Or if we take the Islamic Republic of Iran, that is, again, among a clerical few. It's, it's the absolute or supreme power. In fact, they have a supreme leader. Or at least more closer to home, you know, in Nigeria, we've had different military uh, juntas or regimes, right? At that point, there's no, what's my right? My, you are right to be in the barracks, okay? So those are autocracies. Then you have oligarchies. Oligarchies are when the power is invested in a few. Now, not a few like I said it with autocracies, but here is, it's almost by some kind of meritocratic, uh, merit, merit system, system of merit. That is, for instance, if you, were you ruled because you guys um, were technologically innovative, right? we'll call that a Technocracy. There will be technocrats that will rule. Or if, for instance, you were people that are absolutely wealthy, there was going to be some kind of um, merit that enables you to serve in that, and that's called an oligarchy. Some people say that's what you have in Russia, for instance, yeah, with the oil, oil barons and all of that. And then finally, you can have democracy. All right? Democracy, the rule of the people, right? In that, you have the, the supreme power belongs to the people. Now, you have different forms of democracy. You can have a liberal democracy, representative democracies, which we have. You elect people, so you give them your power for them to make laws and to govern you. Are we together? Now, we go through all of that to say, all right, those are nice political systems. And maybe you can't really say one is better than the other. I would say that there have been some forms that have been worse than others. But you can't always say. Some people will say, ah, uh, Nigeria, that they're even tired of. I've met people that say, Nigeria, we don't need, Nigeria, we're so daft, we don't need democracy. They say, we need what happened in Singapore, right? Or we need what's happening in Dubai. Look at Dubai, they don't vote for anybody. And look at how wonderful it is. What we need is a strong man. Like, we need what happened with Jerry Rollins. You know, Jerry Rollins and Ghana. Uh, how many people have said that here? Uh, we need to just clear up this whole elite system. Let there be a coup to make all of them die. Go for I'm not suggesting that. I'm saying what people have said, okay? So, what if God were to adopt a nation? What if God was the God of a particular nation? What would that nation look like? 
That is, what features can I look at to see whether God, this country is God's own country? Maybe it's the wealth that they have. Maybe this country will be so wealthy that you know, ah, God, Abraham's blessing is upon them. Or maybe it's a political system that they have. Some will say, ah, I know it was God. It cannot be, it can't be an oligarchy. Because it has to be a democracy because the voice, vox populi, vox dei. The voice of the people is the voice of God. So maybe they must have, it, it has to be democratic. If God were to adopt a nation, what would it look like? Well, I actually think there's one thing we can look for. That if God had a geopolitical nation, that is a nation that had, geo, that were, people were brought together by geographical boundaries, I think there's one thing we need to look out for. You know what it is? God's presence. God's presence. Now, I think in the text that we read, we can find that. Let me, or let me quickly read, because he, and God has actually done this, and with the nation of Israel. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. It says, what other nation is so great, verse 7, as to have their gods near them the way Yahweh our God is near us when we pray to him? Do you see? He is near them. And Solomon, in this chapter 8, but later, in verse 53, echoes something like that. He says, for you single them out, that is Israel, you single them out from all nations of the world to be your own inheritance, just as you declare through your servant Moses. So Israel had certain features that would make them know that they are God's people. And it came through three special things. Special structures, special people, and then special times. Let's say that together. Special structures. Special people. No, oh, now. Let's say it together. <laughs> special structures. So when I mean that is, first of all, God covenanted with them. You see that in verse 15, I think, verse 15. God covenant, he made a, a covenant with them. And he gave them his name. Verse 15 says, um, praise be to Yahweh, the God of Israel. So whenever you see capital L-O-R-D, God gave them a special name. Now this is really important. Because, for instance, if I say, Oh, Nigeria, we believe in God, right? In God, with all. America believes in God. In God, we trust, right? Or Nigeria, we believe in God. So help me God. Which one? Is it Olodumari? Is it Amadioha? Or is it Allah? The fact that you say God doesn't mean that we are talking about the same God. So when Israel is talking about having a covenant with God, it's not just God, it's Yahweh, the God of Israel. And later, he then talks about the covenant that he made with them. But if we think about those special structures, for instance, you had the temple in verse 10 and the ark in verse 3. What is the temple? Well, this Yahweh, this God of Israel, wants to meet with his people. So they build a temple where you can say his presence was. In the most sacred place of that temple, you had what you would then call the ark. The ark is, if you like, was a box that then had a lid. This lid had two cherubims. It was made of full gold. It had two cherubims, two angels, as though they were looking down. And that is symbolic of God's throne. Now, if God, if God is Israel's God, he is also Israel's king. So even though Solomon was building his palace there, yes, that's the king, human king, there was the temple to show who their true king was. And in the most sacred part of the temple, you had the mercy seat, under, uh, which was on top of the ark. Are we following? Now, it's symbolic because if you see Isaiah chapter 6, where he said he saw the Lord, he was high and lifted up, and he's going to fill the temple. What did he see? He saw cherubims around him. He saw the throne of God. So these are special structures that showed that this particular God was with these people. 
But you also had special people. Remember I said that God was their king. But they also had a king, a human king. These special people are mediating people. That is, you had mediating structures, the ark, the temple, but now you had mediating special people. The king who was to mediate God's rule, Yahweh's rule, which had already been stated in Yahweh's word, the law of Moses. So he had to mediate Yahweh's rule over the people. You can see that in Deuteronomy chapter 17. But you also had priests. At this point, he said the priests couldn't function properly because the glory had filled the space. Now, the priests were there. If the people sinned against him and they wanted to have sacrifices, the priests represented the people before God. But when they, God wanted to instruct the people, the priests represented God to the people. They instructed the people from the law. Are we together? But then, if you look at verse 21, there were also special times. Special things, some of those times had been commemorated. You know? so, so, for instance, there was the deliverance from, Israel, uh, from Egypt, which is spoken about there. So they had special days, holy days, holy days. And those times, those commemorated times, were looking back to special things that had happened. So one of them was that God covenanted with them, verse 21, when he brought them out of Egypt. Do you see? A miraculous deliverance was set in these people of God's storyline. They were brought out of Egypt. But also, they knew that there was a time God covenanted with them, you are now my people. There was a written agreement. And also, when... Solomon had built this temple. He said, oh, I have fulfilled the promise that God made to David, my father. So they also had promises. At certain times, God had made promises to them. So Israel was God's people, Yahweh's people, not just by mouth. You know, Nigerian people, we like mouth. We talk too much. It's not, you can't just say God is my own God. Show me evidence. Israel could show you evidence. They had special uh, uh, structures, they had special uh, people, and they had special what? Times. Now, why have I said all of that? I said that to make this statement, and I, I won't say this statement in the nicest possible way. I'm a nice guy. All right? Are you ready for it? Nigeria is not God's country. Certainly. Nigeria, Nigeria this is not God's country. Okay, maybe I didn't say it well. You are not an Israelite. Please check. Okay, Talk to your neighbor and say, I'm not an Israelite. No, no, no. If you don't say it, are you an Israelite? Well, show me your part. You are not an Israelite. Why am I saying that? Now, this is really important. When we consider, when people historically have considered the socioeconomic plight of their country, whether it has been good or is bad, they react in two different ways. Two, di two different ways. But what, however you react is based or rooted in the fact that we want to be special people. We want to see ourselves as special people. I'll say it again. When you consider the socioeconomic plight of your nation, you normally would react in two different ways. But that, however you react, whether the nation is doing well or bad, however you react, it is rooted in the fact that you want to be seen as a special people. Now, what are these two ways in which we react? One is apathy. The other one is zealotry. Apathy and zealotry. By apathy, I mean, I don't care. I don't care. You know what I mean? You know, I don't care. You really don't care. You don't care about the politics. You don't care about what's going on. Now, if, for instance, if your, your, nation was doing, well, your nation was doing very, uh, uh, very well, doing very well, like very, very rich, I hear like in those Middle Eastern um, kingdoms, right? I swear the Gulf. You know why many, many of those places, apart from maybe remove Bahrain, you know why they don't have political uprising? There's actually a way these kings have, when they had oil, what they just said was, you know what, we're going to make these people so rich. Our people, just make them so rich, give them... Do you, know, do you know the average income, uh, the per capita um, uh, income of an average um, Qatari citizen? Do you know? Take a wild guess. $15,000. $50,000. Anybody else? $90,000. I mean, that would be nice, eh? $90,000. It's $136,000. 
richest nation in the world, per capita. You don't care about why the king should stay there. There's nothing to complain about. So you don't care about politics. In fact, entertainment is what you like. If that was in Nigeria, you know what will happen? When we are looking for news, we won't watch channels. We're watching Ebony Live TV. What's going on? Ah, the video again. Ah! Now, wow. Like. No, I don't like. I shouldn't have liked that. Your news is being is by Instagram and Ebony Live. Why? Because you have apathy because you have everything. You don't care about the political space. If your country is doing very badly, what have this government done for me? Successive government, they keep, they, they keep promising. I don't care. I beg. Let me just focus on my family. I don't care who is there. People, who was the, who was the vice president under, under good luck, Jonathan? I took it. I, I, don't, I took notes. I don't want you to answer. Most of you don't know. I can pick on some of you. You don't know who. Uh -huh, you see? Hanatu doesn't know. You see? <laughs> And even the friend next to her too doesn't know. They were asking themselves. <laughs> oh, you know. You are not sure. It was, you are telling her. Okay. Do you now know? Now, nah, not too. You see, oh, my word. You see, apathy. But if I ask her who the vice president of America is, she will know. You don't know. You don't know. The, oh. Our own apathy is for all the world. So, <laughs> it's not even. so disillusionment sets in, and you don't care about it. But do you see, you've reacted with apathy whether or not the nation is doing well or not. That's one. The second is zealotry. By zealotry, I mean an extreme um, state of caring that actually becomes slightly dangerous. So for instance, if your nation is doing very well, and one case in point would be Germany under Hitler, Nazi Germany. After he came in, after the depression in 1939, by the, by the early 40s, they were doing very well. They had built the autobahn, uh, this road network, vast road network. They were, Volkswagen was just selling Beatles. You know that Beatles? They were selling Beatles. They started to, they grew in wealth. They were becoming already the most powerful nation in Europe. They started to conquer, you know, different places, Austria, you know, and all of those things. And one of the things Hitler wanted them to know was that you Germans belong to an Aryan race, a supreme race. Look at what is happening. We have evidence that our race is supreme over all of these. So we have to ensure that we keep the purity of this race. We subjugate all the other people. It leads to a certain kind of arrogance and a certain kind of racism. So that if your country was doing well before and is now, you, you feel that your country is going down, what do you have to do? You have to make the country what? Great again. Now, I could give a contemporary form, but I want to say this. There's another kind of zealotry I want us, especially as Christians, that we should be aware about. And it's called spiritual zealotry. What do I mean by that? This is it's a certain brand of nationalism that is mixed with religion, with our Christian religion. So I'm not going to spend, I spent a lot of time on this in the, in the first service, but take, for instance, America. America is the most powerful, wealthiest nation that ever existed on the face of the earth. Do you know? Nation stroke empire. None has ever. Defense budget of America exceeds the next, I think, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth defense spending of the other nations. The second, third, fourth, that's China, UK, all of those people put together. America exceeds that. In terms of their, um, what America pays on its debt alone is the GDP of significant developed nations. Now, because of that, in the 70s and 80s, some people prophetically thought, especially because America, it was America in the West, Soviet Union in the East, all right? So they had become both very powerful, but America was getting the ascendancy. And many guys used to read into prophetic books that, ah, we could see America, the eagle. The eagle in, in, the, in Revelation and some of these other books, that was America, and Russia, and they said that because you know the coat of arms of America has the eagle. I know what you're thinking. We too, we have coat of arms. Yeah, you're not there. Just, we are not, we too, we have eagle in our own. Just super eagles, football. But Russia was the bear. And one of the beasts had uh, the leg of the bear or something. So people were able to put it, and then you do some calculations as well. You know, we call it numerology. 
All right? You put all of those things together and you could see that America was destined, was, was, was called for in prophecy. Deep, Abby. That's not deep. Let me talk about Nigeria. That one is zealotry in terms of success. When you now talk about zealotry in terms of things are bad, Niger, we have trademark on this one. As in nobody outstrips us. Have you ever heard of the, um, who has heard of the Sons of Ham doctrine? Sons of Ham? You know, you know, now let me explain. Noah had three sons after God had destroyed the flood. Noah had three sons. So one son was Shem, the other was Japheth, the other was Ham. Okay, now remember what happened? Um, Ham saw his father's nakedness, but Japheth and Shem covered it. And so there was a blessing that was given to Shem. And so what happens is that the lineage of Shem is where the Israelites come from. So if you oppose the Jews, that's why you're called an anti-Semite. It comes from Shemite, right? So the, the, the nation of Israel comes from Shem. So God first blessed Shem, all right? And that's why the whole Old Testament is given to the descendants of Shem. God dealt with Shem up until 2,000 years BC. Good. The second was, after God had dealt with Shem, he now went to bless Japheth. All right? Now, Japheth is the father of the Europeans. So what happened was we had the Jews, but then we now had Christianity at the time of the Roman Empire, when it became the Holy Roman Empire, Constantine, and all of that. And through that period, all of a sudden, Christianity started to spread. The center of Christianity was in Europe. Even the Reformation, where did it happen? In Europe. And so they grew in wealth, they grew in wisdom, and that's why the white man was the one that colonized us. But they turned away from God, just like Shem did. And there was a time set for the curse of harm to be lifted, the 20th century. You see, because the curse of harm was the curse on the black man. That's why the black man, why are you suffering? It's not your fault. I can tell you, it's the curse of harm. Do you understand? But in the 20th century, a time is coming and now, is where the cost shall be lifted. So at the turn of the 20th century, 10% of Africa was Christian. But by the time you get to the late 20th century, about 50 plus percent is coming. So that is why many people will say, no, there's a time. This time is a crucial time in the time of prophecy where God is now turning to the sons of Ham. So there is the sons of Ham that will now bring the final liberation because Abraham didn't have more than three sons. I know you are thinking, what about China? And just forget about those guys. Right? That's the East. The East has always been bad. All right? So it's Africa's point. It's Africa's time. Africa is now going to unleash. Once Africa rises, then the, you know, everything will be nice in the world. That's why, if you look at the picture of Africa, for instance, you know Africa, the picture of Africa, Africa is like a gun, a pistol. Do you understand? It's like this. So if you invert it, now the question is, where is the trigger of that pistol? Where is the trigger of that pistol? Can I have my... What happened to the picture? Where is the trigger of that pistol? Ah, that's Nigeria, isn't it? That's Nigeria. So, once you pull that trigger, right, Africa shoots. So the Nigeria is pivotal in the outworking of God for the earth. Because it's spiritual for the outworking of God in Africa, but Africa, sons of Ham, is spiritual for the world. That is why this election, you can't play with it. It's in the, Bi it's in the Bible. Now, I have to say this for the cameras and for the, I don't believe in any of this. I don't believe in it, all right? For the new people visiting, I don't believe in it. But here's what I'm saying. Spiritual zealotry. You care so much for your nation, so much that you have, to write, you have to write in God's special place for your nation to be able to deal with the issues that you have, and so you start to misinterpret the Bible. In 2015, how many of you received emails, certain prophetic emails about what was this particular candidate? How many of you are ahead of the Islamic agenda? You see, all of these things complicate issues, and we are not able to know as Christians how we should participate in the atmosphere and the political atmosphere of our country. That is why I'm saying you are not Israel. We have to get this theological foundation set. God has only had one geopolitical nation, 
and that is the nation of Israel. Amen? Amen. All right. Having said that, let's go to the second point. Somebody would say, Femi, um, so are you saying that God, and this second point is inclusive consideration of other nations. Are you saying that God doesn't care for other nations like Nigeria? As in God only cares for Israel. God doesn't care for Nigeria. Like, ah, okay, that explains it. <laughs> no, 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 that settles it. No, the answer is no, of course. God does. In fact, if you read verse 59 of chapter 8, 59 and 60, it's really important what Solomon says there. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before Yahweh, be near to Yahweh our God, that he may uphold the cause of, I'm jumping, the cause of his people, Israel, according to each day's needs. That's what you've been saying now. He wants to uphold the cause of Israel. I understand that. That's what you said. It's a special nation. Look at verse 60. So that, so there's a purpose. Whenever you say so that, or you say therefore, that's a purpose cause, right? So that, what I have said before is for what I'm going to say after. The purpose exists for that. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that Yahweh is God and that there is no other. Do you see? Israel's very existence was for other nations to be able to turn to God. Why Israel sinned and was exiled is that they reversed that. They were meant to affect other nations to turn to their God. The other nations affected them to turn to other gods. That was the problem when Solomon married 700 wives and 300 concubines, right? From different nations, and he started worshiping other gods. And that was where his decline came. Israel's very existence was for other nations. That is why another special group, another special group of people, you know, we talked about the kings and the priests, another special group of people, the prophets, who brought God's word of reform to them, whenever the prophets spoke, they not only speak for Israel alone. In fact, God commissioned one of them called Jeremiah, and listen to what he said. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Don't forget, the father of Israel is who? Abraham, right? When God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, he said, look, I'm going to make you a great nation. You, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. That is, out of you, a nation will be birthed, okay? What nation is that? Israel. But then immediately he then says, and through you, all the nations or all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Israel was going to exist for the blessing of all other nations. Therefore, when God was commissioning a prophet like Jeremiah, you can understand why he said, you're not just a prophet to Israel, you're a prophet to nations. Yes, I'm going to be dealing with Israel specially at this time, but I have the nations in mind. That's why you can think of Elisha and the widow at Zarephath, not an Israel, Israelite town. You can think of Elisha and Naaman, the Syrian general. You can think of Jonah that was sent to a city that was not in Israel at all, Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Or just think about that book of Isaiah that you love and you read every year. In the book of Isaiah, even though most of the prophecy is towards Israel, there's a whole section of about 11 chapters, 13 to 24, where it is 13 to 23, uh, sorry, 13 to 23, where it's all about prophecies to other nations. So Isaiah 13 to 14 is for Babylon, 14, Philistia, 15 to 16, Moab, 17, Damascus, Syria, 18, Cush, 19, Egypt. 20, Egypt and Cush. 21, Babylon. 21, Edom. 21, Arabia. 23, Tyre. And in case you didn't get the point, 24 is for the whole world. God, even when he was dealing with one nation, always had the other nations in mind. It was part of God's progressive plan. There was a plan set, and in that plan, he actually said, I'm going to adopt one nation, and then... I'm going to adopt one nation, and then I will use them to bless the world. So what is this God's, what's God's progressive plan and agenda for the, how is he going to bless the whole world? How is he going to bless, what, what is the pinnacle, the fulfillment of this, his agenda to bless the world? 
And you know the answer? Give me the answer together. It's a one-word answer. You know, as a Christian, you were in Sunday school. There's only one answer to every question. It's a one-word answer. The answer is what? Jesus. Oh, you guys are well-trained. <laughs> That's good. Jesus is the answer. When I say Jesus is the answer, I don't mean that glibly. For instance, remember we talked about special structures and special people and special times. Think about it. Take one of those special structures. The temple. Jesus in John chapter 2 says this. Uh, John in, uh, Jesus in John chapter 2 um, says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. But the temple he spoke about was what? Of his body. Why? Because Jesus himself is the meeting place between man and God because he is the man that is God. Or God that became a man. Or talk about the um, uh, special times, right? Covenant and promises that we talked about. Hebrews chapter chapter 8, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is uh, obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant that he mediates is better. The covenant that he mediates is what? Better. There was an old covenant, and he's saying the new covenant is a better covenant. Why? Since it is enacted on better promises. So he fulfills the special structures. He fulfills the special times. What about the special people? Hebrews 3 verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So when he says that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, this is the kind of thing he's talking about. How is the nations going to be blessed? How are Abraham's uh, blessing going to come to nations? It's not by economic wealth. It's not by health care. Galatians chapter 3 tells you, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles or to the nations through Christ Jesus so that by faith we may receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, how does this change? What does this change? It changes everything. You see, Jesus' coming and fulfillment of all of these things changes God's configuration of who his nation is. Because even though I said God only adopted one geopolitical nation, which is Israel, that doesn't have, is not in existence today. Because God revoked that title from Israel. Jesus speaks about it in Matthew chapter 21, verse uh, 43. Listen to what he says. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. That's really the interpretation of Jesus cursing the fig tree. Or maybe I can make it even, let me explain better. Hebrews 8.13 says this. In speaking of a new covenant, remember we spoke about a covenant before. I remember God made a covenant with Israel. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to what? Vanish away. Do you understand? If he's setting up a new covenant, he's creating a covenant, he's making the other one obsolete. If the bulb um, here becomes obsolete, what do we do? We replace it. We don't try to revive the other one. The other one is gone. Bring a new bulb, thank you very much. God said, I am setting away the first so that I can establish the second. Therefore, there is a new nation of people. And this takes me to Ephesians chapter 2. I'll spend a little bit of time there and then we'll get to our third point. But I need to make this point very clear. And I think the, the passage itself um, does that. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2. Now I'm just going to read verse 12. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel. For all of you that said, uh, you didn't want to say that I'm not an Israelite. It's here. It's here. You were excluded from the citizenship in Israel. And foreigners to the covenant of the promise. You see all of this? But it now says, without hope and without God in the world. But now. Say, but now. This is so important. The but now transition is telling you, look, this, this is who you were before. But now, in time, that is, there was before, but 
now. In time, in pro progression of time, a progressive plan. But now, something has happened. And what has happened? In Christ Jesus, you, 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 and you, who were once far away, have now been brought near. Remember that God's presence has to be with his people. Now you have been brought near. How? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, verse 16, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. For through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. Now, did you see that? Jesus Christ dies, but before Jesus Christ dies, there is a dividing wall of hostility. There's Jews here. They have the covenant. They have the promises. If you read Romans 9, verse 4 to 5, they have the patriarchs. They have everything. You, on the other hand, you don't have anything. You are far away from God. And here, on the other side of the wall, is Gentiles. And it says, Jesus Christ, by him dying, he destroys that wall. Not to make you become an Israelite, but to take Israelites that believe in the blood of Christ and, and uh, Gentiles that believe in the blood of Christ and to make them one new body. What is your new passport? Your new passport now is that Jesus Christ died for me. Just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. And so he creates one new body of people. Now, if circumcision defined was the mark on those people's body in the old covenant, what is the new one? Verse 18, he says, for by one spirit we have access to what? The Father. So you believe in Jesus Christ and he pours his spirit inside you and that makes you one group. And I'll finish what he says because it's quite important. Verse 19, he then says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens of God's people, with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus as himself, the chief cornerstone. In him, now notice there's a building that's being joined. In him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become what? Say it together. Rises to become a? A holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives, a dwelling in which God lives, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Solomon built a temple. He said, I built a place for you to dwell. Now he says, the people who believe in God, those people together, where his spirit resides, is his new temple because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And I can culminate it with these two verses that we know in 1 Peter chapter 2. Because of the significance of all of this, what does he say? But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and what? A holy What's the nation of God? What's the people of God? Who are they? Well, it's the church of the living God. At one point, the nation of God was defined by, it, by geopolitical boundaries, by certain features of a particular covenant. Now, Abraham's blessing has been fulfilled. Why? Because the promised spirit is now poured out on people, Jews and Gentiles. Why? Because Jesus Christ's death has broken all ethnic boundaries. See, I'm a Yoruba man, an Ijebu Yoruba man. In fact, Ijebu comes before Yoruba. I'm Ijebu before I'm Yoruba. Do you understand? Because not all Yorubas are Yoruba. Paul said it now. Not all Jews are <laughs> Jews. So if you're not really Ijebu, yeah, no, I'm not saying uh, if you're from Ekiti, Ondo, all those people, you're okay. You're all right. But you know, we Ijebus, we, we know. You also have to be from Ijebu today, but let's leave that. All right. As an Ijebu Yoruba man, Gloria. Gloria is from the north, well, born in the north, but she's also from Edo State, right? Edo, right? So she's Edo, but she's Gaba. You kind of, it's a bit mixed up, but don't worry. Gloria and I are closer. Our relationship uh, in Christ matters more than my relationship with another Ijebu Ode man that does not believe in Jesus Christ. Guys, that matters a lot. This relationship is going to go into all eternity. 
If that person doesn't turn to Christ, that will not happen. The same thing with Francis, who is an Igbo man. Solomon is not here. Who is Igbo here again? Who is Igbo? Let me see. Igbo, raise up your hand. Igbo, Kwenu. <laughs> Victoria there. She's using Victoria. She's chim mom. Chim mom. Victoria and Fran. Are you? Francis is Oweri and Ambra. I'm not sure. Which one do you take? <laughs> take your mother's own. You're Oweri. <laughs> and Victoria, you are? OK, he's Anambra. And now, Anambra and Oweri, people don't like each other. But let's leave that. Let's leave that. But they are both Igbo people. The connection between them, uh, the connection between Francis as an Oweri, uh, Anambra person, and, connection, and her as an um, Oweri person is much more thicker. It's much more durable than what Francis has with another Anambra indigene that doesn't believe in Christ with the elders of his village, in fact. Why? Because this one was sealed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is now signified with the pouring of the Holy Spirit, the foundation of the Lord stands sure, having this seal, the Lord knows who they are his. Their relationship in Christ outstrips all other kinds of relationship, ethnic, geographic, and all other things. Do we hear that? Because when we enter into the election season, these things are whipped up. The differences that we have are whipped up. And before you know it, Christians start fighting each other because this one belongs to this place and that one belongs to this place. This time is our own turn. It's our turn to take over. We start doing that as Christians. And we then relegate what God has done in Christ. We are now a new nation. Amen? We are now God's holy people. Praise the name of the Lord. And that brings me to my final point, which is the global rule of every nation. The question then becomes, if this is true, if this is a new kingdom, a new nation, and if God is king, how does he then rule? And there's a sense in which God rules over everything. His sovereignty, we read Psalm 103, verse 19. His sovereignty is over all, so he rules everything. But there's also a special sense, because don't forget, if Jesus fulfills the, the high priest, he should also fulfill the king. And Acts chapter 2 tells us that God has enthroned Jesus as king in heaven. He is the king that rules over everything. So how does he, what is he going to do to spread his kingdom? Because one, here is the thing. Once you establish your throne, the next thing you want to do for kingdoms is to expand the kingdom. That, in fact, is not just, it's something to secure your kingdom. If you don't expand it, some other people will come and take the kingdom. So what does Jesus do? How does God spread this kingdom? This king that Jesus says of himself, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. I am the king of all things. So what did Jesus say after that? He says what? Go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make more wealth. He didn't say go and take the... Um, Political positions, go and now be governors. When we know that you're a governor, that a Christian is a governor, then Christians, the kingdom of God is coming. He didn't say that. He said, go and make disciples. Why? The way his kingdom is going to spread is by people spreading the word about his kingdom and people believing in it. Except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Except a man is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom. This kingdom does not advance by guns. It doesn't advance by money. It doesn't advance by political positions. It advances by the message of the kingdom going forth into all the world. In fact, Matthew 24, verse 14, it says, look, when this message of the kingdom is preached to all the world for a witness, you know what will happen? The end will come. Now, I'm setting all of these boundaries and establishing of these things. You know why? Because I said, election period has come. We, have, we become very, very zealous. And sometimes, even with well, good intentions, we start to say very, very misguided things. You know, if you have good intentions, that doesn't mean you can't be misguided. So I'll show you a clip of um, this is a kind of lobbying group that is trying to get Christians to vote. Here's what it says, some of the uh, things that they say here. Don't waste the work of Jesus on the cross. Have you not read the scripture that says, faith without works is dead? See, my dear, there is no more time. Don't be a hindrance to the move of God. Allow God to move. Registration will end on the 17th of August. 
you just need to do the needful together we will decide the leadership of Nigeria and enthrone Jesus in this country. If they didn't have good intentions, I'll call that blasphemy. Don't waste the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That equates to go and get your PVC. Allow God to move. Go and get your PVC. And then together, because we register and we go and vote, because of that, we can enthrone Jesus over this country. That is absolute nonsense. Jesus Christ is already enthroned over this country. And this has nothing to do with what we can do. It says God himself by his own power raised Jesus from the dead, and now God has made him Lord over all. You can't enthrone Jesus by our political activism. There was a pastor that recently said to his congregation, you know, exertion of uh, pastoral power is not a good thing. I like it, but it's not a good thing. He said this. He said, no PVC. If you don't get your PVC, you are not getting communion. I didn't want to bring that one. I'm serious. He said it. He said, if you don't get your PVC, you are an enemy of Nigeria. How many of you are enemies of Nigeria? You see them. They are raising up their hand proudly. That doesn't mean you shouldn't get your PVC. Do you see what spiritual zealotry can do? You see, we care about our nation. We should care about our nation. But if we don't have our right theological foundations, we will start to pick up wrong priorities. We will start to say certain things like this. If we miss what the kingdom of God is about, we will think that maybe Christians having wealth, Christians being in political office, is the way the kingdom of God comes. Whereas the kingdom of God has already been established. Because Jesus Christ died and he's no longer in the tomb. And now he says, here is how I rule the nations. Bumi, go out and talk about me. Yemi, go out and talk about how I have forgiven your sins. And how I can forgive the sins of all other people that believe in me. This is how the kingdom spreads. And then finally you then say, oh, is that what I should then do? We shouldn't care about politics at all. We shouldn't do anything. It's all about evangelism. I'll leave you with these final three things. The spread of the kingdom through evangelism and all of those things is the primary, is the primary mandate of the church. But it's not the solitary mandate of the church. Do you understand? It's the primary mandate of the church, but it's not the solitary mandate of the church. One. Two. These foundations that we're laying, and we'll lay some next week, is to enable us to know what are the boundary lines that we should stay within so that we can then know how best to serve the political sphere as Christians. Three, when we have these things put there, then we can be best placed, I believe, to serve in a political way. That is, we can be best placed to become Christ-like patriots. What do I mean by that? You are, ne you are neither driven by, you can serve the political sphere because you don't feel that you can save everybody. You can't feel that whatever you are doing is the thing that will save Nigeria. Why? Because Jesus has already died. When you don't have the pressure of, hey, if I don't do this thing, Nigeria is going to go to hell in a, in a handbasket, then you can have the freedom to actually serve. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have the pressure pulling down that you feel like it's, all, it's me or nothing. Is this candidate or nothing? Is this action or nothing? Because the one thing that should have been, that would bring everything to kaput, has already been solved. Jesus Christ has died. That's one extreme. The other extreme is that you will not be apathetic. Because if Jesus Christ died for people of every nation, then you know he cares. And if politics is important, then you know that you should be engaged in some way because if Jesus cares for people, you also should care for people. Amen. Never pulled in the, zeal, in the, in the extreme of zealotry, but you are not also pulled in the extreme of apathy. Guys, let's remember this. That... Politics matters. It's important and it should be important to Christians. It's the way we love our neighbors. 
But let's not make it an idol. Because God's rulership through Christ points us to an eternal nation. That eternal nation is the one true nation under God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.